Ronnie Ann Spang is an AV legend, female designer, programmer, and we're going to discuss, you know, what the history of our industry is, where the future is going, and how we can bring everybody together to create a better world for, of AV. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. You're listening to the AV Nation Wavecast, challenging AV's comfort zone. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining the AV Nation Wavecast. This is your AV industry's only podcast that focuses on everything to do with women, you know, what challenges we face, what our successes are, and how we can improve both ourselves and the industry to make it a more diverse and equitable place for, for all of us to work. Uh, my name is Jennifer Willard. I'm your host, and it is a privilege and an honor today to have with us our guest. Uh, her name is Ronnie Ann Spang. Ronnie, hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Jennifer? Good. Joining us from the farm? I wish. <laughs> no, this, it's just a farm background on Zoom. So. I love that. Cool. Awesome. Um, thank you so much for being here. We're really excited to, to have you and to talk to you. I mean, you're an AV legend. Uh, you're a designer. You're a programmer. You're a veteran of the AV industry. Uh, you know, you've, you've done just about everything and, you know, have so much knowledge and experience. Um, and you also, as a woman, have faced, you know, your own challenges and, you know, understand what it's like to be a female in a male-dominated industry. So we're really thrilled, you know, to talk to you and, you know, understand your point of view. Um, so, you know, let's sort of like jump into it. Who is Ronnie Ann? Let us know. Um, let's see. I am just, I'm a techno geek person. I love technology. And it started out with like being, liking being in control. If I tell a display to turn on and go to a specific input, it will. If I tell a person to turn on a display and put it on a certain input, will they? Oh no. So I find people frustrating, annoying, difficult. I find technology wonderful. Technology obeys us. It does what we want. It feels good, empowering to be in control once in a while, and, and it's enjoyable. Right. I mean, you know, you and I have talked a lot in um, about like, you know, when you you have such a long, extensive career in the AV industry. Can you tell us what your first job with AV or your like sort of your first experience and how you knew like, you know, this is where you're going to be? Well, it didn't start out like that. I mean, AV has evolved. And as a child growing up, my parents were Jehovah's Witnesses, so I wasn't getting a Christmas or a birthday present. They didn't want me to have a TV. So I was never going to get a television, but I wanted one. So at some point, one of my neighbors was throwing out a television. Well, I brought that thing home and plugged in. It didn't work. So I opened it up, took the back cover off. There were a bunch of little tube things in there. So I plugged it in. Some of them turned on, some of them didn't. So I took the ones that didn't, unplugged it, took the ones that didn't down to an electronic store. They had a tube tester, plugged in the tubes that didn't work, and they all tested good. So had to follow the wires from the tubes that tested good to the ones that lit up and tried some of those. And one of the tubes was bad. So I asked how much. They said, I think it was like 60 some cents. And to me, that was a million dollars. So I went and washed some cars and made some money and bought a tube and had a working TV. And that's sort of how it started out for me. And it was the same with stereo equipment and, you know, music. I was big into music. So I had to learn at a young age uh, 
I took stage crew and electronics in school for the same reason. Um, and I wanted to be a musician. And that's sort of how I got my start. Awesome. I love that. You know, it's, it's so interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, so many of the people that I talk to in our industry have like, I mean, I love that hearing that story because to me, it's like, you know, you have such creativity, you had such curiosity, but you also had like the drive and the determination to say, just because this isn't working, I want to, like you would go, what you originally said about the control, it was like, you were going to make it work. And you know, that has like so much, so much to do, but also, um, how it was your, your passion that sort of led you into the AV industry, which, you know, we typically find for a lot of us, it wasn't that you went to a, you learned electronics, but you never went to school for like, say an AV industry career. So that's really, that's so fascinating. I love that. Um, so, you know, everybody, you, I mean, you have been in this industry now, how long? Yes, seriously. I everybody, honestly. Um, Half the time I wake up, look in the mirror and go, who the hell was that? But, um, <laughs> no age. Um, I've been in, in and out of the industry. See, it's evolved. I mean, I started out in the city of industry soldering circuit boards in aerospace companies. Um, but manufacturing was going to China. And I was making poverty wages and fighting just to keep a job. So I went into telecom. I did a couple years with... Uh, cross-country wireless cable subsidiary of Pacific Bell before and after the Pacific Bell acquisition. I worked for a GTE agency, uh, worked as an agent for Telepacific, then went back into manufacturing with Rank Science because telecom was becoming automated too. I, I actually didn't know what to do. In fact, when I worked at Rank Science, I was starving. I was making $17 an hour as an electronics engineer, designing circuits making prototypes, creating documentation and blueprints. I was making 17 an hour, starving to death. And I got laid off after making a working prototype while they were going to production, waiting for the production models, they laid me off. They called me back two months later, but by then I was working at Crestron. The beautiful thing about Crestron is it opened my eyes to systems engineering. There was an opportunity in systems engineering. It was just starting to get big. And uh, that changed my career. I make three, three and a half, almost four times what I was making at Rankus Heinz now, just a few years later. Wow. That's awesome. You know, it's so interesting. Um, we did the uh, 2020 Women and Girls in AV study. Uh, and one of the, the things that was really kind of stood out to me was that manufacturers are, I guess that, you know, Kind of makes sense, but like I didn't know. But manufacturers are the um, the sector of our industry that employ the the most females. Um, like to you, is that does that not surprise you? Sort of like, what what is your take on 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 that? And then system integrators, of course. I, maybe like for me, it's just like those must be the two largest sectors of of our industry. Obviously, I guess does it surprise? Manufacturing doesn't surprise me. I mean, when I started out in this city of industry. The soldering department was filled with nothing but women because women have smaller hands and we can handle more delicate parts. So it really makes sense that women are dominant in manufacturing. But manufacturing doesn't pay that well unless you have management, quality control, production control, something more advanced. And there are mid-level jobs, but the actual production line workers typically don't make that much money. 
you know, that's so that's so interesting you say that too. And you know, I'm sorry if I like I mind like it's always like a race thing, but um <laughs> just generally. But um I like when I hear like when I hear you talking, it's you know, it's like I tie that sort of to like sort of some of the, the things that we actually found. And you know, one of the things that we actually did find is that female technicians in our industry are the ones most likely to have a second job. They are the highest ranking like females because we asked the question of like, do you need to have a second job? And it's so interesting that you that you say that um, about people not necessarily making money because you know we always sit here and we say to ourselves, why don't we have more female technicians? Why don't we have more female on the technical side? Well, it's like you know if we're not paying them, we're not respecting them. So you know, I mean, like, was that you sort of like your what your experience was? Well, there were okay. So early in my career, things were more. I started out in the 80s, and in the 80s, the best job for women was administrative assistant. But who got those jobs? Cheerleaders. You know, the beautiful, popular, the rest of us got stuck in the factory, you know? <laughs> so that was sort of the way things were. There wasn't, there wasn't a lot of opportunity, and we were pigeonholed. I had things worse because I was sort of stuck in the middle back then. Um, I wasn't actually able to successfully work as a female in the workplace until 2007 with GBH Communications. So from 1980 to 2007, I was treated like an effeminate male, which was really a different can of worms, if you will. And I would gradually try to transition and then eventually be fired, laid off, terminated. Um, and that's why a lot of the work I did, like the GTE work, was as an agent, not direct in-house employee. Pella Pacific, same thing, agency, contract work, freelance work, um, where I didn't have a boss. So there was a good part about that is that I was able to do what I wanted to do. But the downside is that I didn't build the type of future that I would have been better off doing. So, you know, the, my story is gonna be really different than anyone else's and I apologize You're in a class that. all of your own. That's what but I love about you, you're in a class all of your own. I kind of, I was in between and I saw both sides. Yeah, so I'm, I'm however however comfortable you are, you know, talking talking about that, uh, you know, especially as a woman and having such a unique experience as you do, um, it's really heartbreaking for me to hear that you know you feel and and I'm not saying that you feel because you just feel it, but like your experience was that you know the more that you became yourself, the the like the more barriers and resistance that you actually experienced experience sort of within discrimination i'm you know i know of like you know a lot of people experience discrimination but not something as unique as as you have so um do you want to share anything about that or you know it's up to you um it's hard to know what to share because there's been so much but one of my favorite stories and, and this time i won't name the person because this is being recorded but there was a company in 2007 when I was working at GBH, it's a military defense contractor. I showed up to complete an integration project at their facility. 
And the client contact for this military defense contractor stated when I walked in, where is your programmer? Or asked, where's your programmer? Not stated, but they asked, where's the programmer? So I responded that I am the programmer. And the client's response to that was, no, really, where is your programmer? So I just bit the bullet and unpacked my laptop and started coding. Um, when was that? Like, what time, what time period was that? That was summer of 2007. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a long time ago, but that's not long ago. No. Hmm. Um, I can count on one hand how many women programmers I've worked with. Mm -hmm. I used to teach programming classes at Crestron. I had two programmers come through there and two years of teaching. I have seen women programmers solve problems that men have never solved. Women think differently than men do. Men think differently than women do. It's a male-dominated industry. Women solve problems that nobody else has. We need both. We need women. I don't want to work in an all-woman company because we'll miss things that men will see. We need diversity. But that's the hardest thing to get companies to do. Because most companies, most teams are boys clubs. Who do we report to? A male, usually a white male, but a male. We can't relate to him. He has no understanding of what we're going through at all. We don't even speak the same language as our bosses. So we bring things up. They don't understand it. They don't adopt it. They don't appreciate it. They don't recognize it. They don't know what it is that we're saying. And we're trying to show them where what we're doing is not optimal and they don't want to see it because they can't comprehend what we're saying at all. And it makes it harder for us to even exist on that team. So I find that women are last hired and first let go. We have the least promotion opportunities, the least advancement, the least recognition, the least appreciation, even when we're outperforming the men. Yes, uh, so interesting that we, you know, I find like myself, like I, I totally appreciate and, and hear what you say. And it it's hard for me because it's, there's so much about like what I hear, I feel um, in my experience that everything that you say is so true. Men, men can't understand our language. You know, we communicate differently. There's a place for all of us. Um, and not even necessarily whether uh, you know unconscious bias is is as much a part of things um, as you know anybody's necessarily anyone's intention um, to you know sort of disc discriminate or you know um, take credit for somebody else's ideas. I, I can't tell you how many times like I've had men like take credit for my ideas, you know, and exactly like you're saying. Um, but but it does it, it. It's sort of like this. Uh, can't think of like what I want to say, but it, it's a passive hostility. It's, so, it's sort of, you know, is it, something that I feel. And I also feel there are so many men because again, like I, going back to our survey, um, women said 44% of women don't have mentors. And then 28% underneath that said that they count men only as their mentors. So I don't want to give this impression that men don't necessarily care or, or want to help women, you know, but, but I hear you um, so loud and and clear about 
you know, women being the first, you know, let go and the last to be hired. I mean, what are your thoughts about, like, how can we change that at the top? Is it, is it just that we have to let people retire out and we, and we have a new generation? I mean, I'm not trying to put like be rude to say that, but I mean, how can we sort of change that at the top, even if it's not something that is openly understood as, as a hostile, um, you know, discriminatory practice? Well, a lot of corporations' structures are broken, most of them. I mean, if you look at the way companies are run, no company does everything right. I mean, take the best company in any area, and they all do some things really well, but nobody does everything well. Every company has some problems. You know, maybe they make the best control system, not the best audio products, or best audio products, not the best control. It, or, you know, great projection, not necessarily great flat screen displays, or vice versa. So, you know, the, the problem in any company is it's difficult to do everything well. But I think part of the problem is the lack of diversity in leadership. Um, when you find corporate boards of directors, women are frequently HR director, frequently accounting, maybe sales, maybe marketing. Never tech, never, almost never tech, almost never CEO, almost never chief operating officer. We need more men in the female-dominated roles, and we need more women in the male-dominated roles. Because if we have woman-dominated departments, we're missing out on half the perspective. And if we have male-dominated departments, we're missing out on half the perspective. I'm a woman working in a male-dominated area. And I'm seeing the problems, but it's no different for men in a female-dominated area either, like accounting or HR. They're going through the same thing in the reverse. They're reporting to women who don't understand them, can't appreciate them, may not promote them. And so this problem isn't just a problem unique to women. It's not a problem just unique to gender. We see this in, with race and ethnic discrimination. Most companies are run by white people. How can African-American workers be represented when management doesn't understand the problems that they're having? They're not. How do LGBT people get represented when they're not having seats at the board either? So it's not a simple thing but I think the solution is diversity and inclusion. I think if more women were in technical leadership and oversight, that more women would be able to be successful in navigating tech. But at the same time, more men need to be included in accounting and HR sales and marketing too. We need both perspectives at every level. That's interesting. Um, you know, because again, like, you know, in our, in our study, like women made it to the executive level that like uh, 84 out of 500 women counted themselves in executive management. But then again, 127, like you said, 127 out of the 500 six said they were in sales and the next highest one was PR marketing. So yeah, so over like more than 60%, you know, take up those non-technical roles. Um, so it's, 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 it's such a hack, I think, you know, it's, it's a hard thing. I, I, 
sometimes I wonder, um, is it just that women, because you mentioned about the, going back to the, you mentioning like the four programmers. I remember in um, the, the few programmers that you had of females, I remember in uh, 2012, 13, when I started uh, the podcast, I tried, I, I ended up finding four. I, I found four women that were actually programmers, but I, you had no idea how far and wide I had to actually search to be, to be on the show. You know, there are young women, I really feel, and I see like young women, um, you know, such as like Maddie Vining, who is the Wave UK um, leadership in her 30s. She's a female, she's a senior female technician. Um, you know, for, you know, uh, the Royal Medicine Society. Uh, you know, you have the woman, the young girl who I did uh, the survey with. She is a sound, live sound engineer, you know, Carrie um, Martinez. There's um, Hope Roth. She just posted something about like getting her second level in Crestron programming. So, it, 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 you know, it's like, I, like we, we needing to nurture these younger generations to have the diversity that maybe we lack. I mean, how do we get more youth? You know, and that's always like, we're, we're aging out. We're like, uh, like our industry is aging out, especially like design consulting. I remember like, you know, just even like four years ago, like um, th there's nobody young, just like, just generally like youth, let alone the diversity of youth. What, what are your thoughts about that? I, I know some younger women who are not me, but better. Much, much better, um, <laughs> in many levels. I find um, that hard to believe. <laughs> no, I Elizabeth Swafield. I mean, you know, she's she's a brilliant programmer. Um, the the thing is, is that I look at what I've done versus what my dad and my grandfather did. My dad was a computer programmer in the '60s for the for the uh, U.S. Air Force and for. Uh, the, the national defense contractors like General Dynamics. And then he went working, he became a Jehovah's Witness and started doing work for cities like Pomona, Pasadena, Kent, Washington, Burbank, and Oceanside, where he finally retired. But he was a successful programmer in the 60s before there were programmers. I mean, he was really early. Um, so I was raised by a programmer knowing a lot about tech. Um, but as awesome as the things he did were, and he was a foundational, I mean, he created a lot of a lot of the stuff that we're all working with now was built on things that he and his generation did. His generation built everything that my generation used. But yet what my generation has done has eclipsed what his generation did because technology is way better today. And what next generation is going to do is going to make what our generation did look archaic and obsolete it already is augmented reality virtual reality robotics ai animatronics ai could literally make our species extinct okay nothing i've ever built is anywhere near that powerful the kids today are doing stuff that could literally eradicate all of us if they're not careful. So I don't think that we should say that there's nobody coming up that's going to replace me. It's not a question of if I'm going to be replaced. The people that replace me are exponentially 
more knowledgeable, savvy, skilled, talented, capable, and what they're building is far cooler, more powerful, and actually dangerous than anything I've ever done. You know, it's so interesting. Like, I hear you. I hear you so much, um, especially about the new generations. And that's sort of one of the struggles I, I feel about how our industry evolves. Because everything that you're, like, you are very advanced. You know, you are incredibly knowledgeable. You have a, a breadth and depth of experience that few people have in our industry, in, in all the areas that you've been through. When you talk about the augmented reality, when you talk about the AI, you know, all of these future like um, technologies, the bring your own devices using like technology, I don't see our industry um, adapting. And I wonder if that's because, you know, um, is middle-aged white men who are adverse to necessarily change. I would say that Williams AV, I just watched a presentation yesterday uh, because they have a new system called Convoy. And it is the first um, language translation device in our industry that is powered by Google AI technology. So, so it's like, I mean, that to me is like, I see something like that and I see a product from the AV industry with AI technology, but it's such, it's a, such a, it's a one-off, you know what I mean? So uh, is, is it incumbent upon us? Is it incumbent upon those of us that are sort of like middle-aged, you know, like not necessarily like, you know, pasturing out yet, but is it like, you know, how, how can we do this? Like, how can we like turn the page and keep ourselves relevant um, so that, you know, the technology is getting used here. Christy did that. Christy Digital had like, um, you know, they, they had their caves that they were doing so long ago and, you know, um, right. And, and all that technology, but I've never seen it take off. I mean that, but it was so ahead of its time in, in terms of, you know, the simulations and everything that they were doing. But I don't feel like we, 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 I don't feel like our industry is able to ever capitalize, especially like something like the coronavirus, you know, the one company that is capitalizing and not to capitalize on a pandemic, that's horrible. Um, but it's, I don't think that that's the right way to, to put it. They're offering solutions and people are adopting their solutions during a pandemic that allowing them to continue to communicate and exist. But that's a one-off. So many times, financial crises, so many different things, our industry, video conferencing and audio conferencing has been the solution that we don't adopt. Is it because we don't adopt services? Actually, I, I see things differently. I feel like our generation has been pushing the envelope. Um, think about it. You mentioned conferencing. Polycoms, speaker tracking cameras, like the producer and the director, Cisco speaker track. Uh, video 360 autopilot. These are cameras that automatically frame you in composition on frame and they will follow you should you start moving around. So conferencing has adopted it. Um, automatic echo cancellation, automatic game control. Um, Crestron has supported automation where one of the cool things about Crestron and one of the reasons why it's one of my favorite control systems, Crestron devices will report to the control system. Somebody's plugged in a laptop. I know that there's been a plug-in on an NVX or an HD-based T or a matrix switch. I can see a state change and automate a decision based on that. Crestron supports automation. So does Alcorn McBride to a lesser extent. So does AMX to a lesser extent. So does Extron to a lesser extent. So does QSC, again, to a lesser extent. Same with Control 4, Aurora Multimedia. They all have some degree of automation. Crestron 
has supported voice commands for over a decade with the TSW series panels. It's already built in, voice recognition. No, the processing isn't that great yet. It's great in a single residence where there's not a lot of different voices, different dialects, works perfectly. In a corporate environment, the processing isn't quite there yet, but it's getting there. How do we know? Where's the world of Harry Potter? At NBC Universal, the Universal Studios Tour. The magic is there. Gestures and speech recognition is already there. And it's using consumer grade video game technology, the Microsoft Connect. It works. The tech is there. What's not there? What's missing? Software. We need to write the code. That's it. We already know how to do this. We know how to do speech recognition. We know how to do gestures. We just need to do it. Somebody's got to pay up front. When I worked at JPL, one of the mission control centers has a Star Trek Captain Kirk replica chair. It's not property of JPL. It's personal property of somebody that works there. So don't anybody go calling the government, getting all bent out of shape about their wasting your money. They're not. They didn't spend a penny on this thing. This replica chair, you can buy them, you can buy a kit to build your own. They're about three grand. But they have a little panel of buttons that work that light up another little panel of lights. Well, the thing wasn't working. Tech that doesn't work offends my delicate sensibilities. I suggested to the client, let's put a Crestron processor in the chair. Connect the buttons to IO ports, connect the LEDs to relays, use the pull-up resistor to power the LEDs, run a network cable over to the Crestron processor in the rack, let the buttons control stuff that's actually working in the system. Make the Star Trek captain's chair control the room. In addition, we could put in a little signage server like a bright sign or Extron uh, SMP or an Elkhorn. And we could make, when the door opens, the door opening whoosh sounds from Star Trek. When a call comes in, the alert sound, red alert, you know, battle stations, whatever, and start integrating Star Trek into the room. Look, I hate Star Trek, but I'm married to a trackie, so I'm familiar with this crap. I would have been happy to do that. Client said, no, we can't waste any money. I said, well, look, we won't. We'll donate the equipment. We'll donate the time. The team I had, none of them had programming experience. I had five people with no programming experience. I used to teach the Preston programming class. Day one is buttons and feedback. This is day one of programming class. This is all we're doing. I could teach all of my team how to do the code. Everyone that volunteers could come in on their own time. We'll do it on a weekend. I had still said no, because it's government and they're too serious, but whatever. That's the kind of innovation that we can do today. We could have done this a decade ago. This, this isn't rocket science. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> fun. In every system, all we should do is... Pardon? I said they're taking off today, too. The rockets. Yes, yes. SpaceX <laughs> is taking off today, sending astronauts first... Private launch of astronauts into space. Pretty cool. I know, in over a decade. So I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's all good. But the thing is, in every system, what I do is I think, what is the coolest thing we can do with this? Process, 
procedure, system design, system documentation, code, service, support, everything I touch, I'm always asking myself, what is the coolest thing that I can do with this? That question is really what defines me more than anything. Beautiful. I love that. And, and I hear you say that. And um, like all of us should be asking that, that very same question. I mean, that's the innovation. That's why you're an innovator. You know what I mean? That's why I have so much respect and admiration because it's like you do, you, you think outside the box in every single way. You know, it's like boxes don't define you. Yeah. No. I like to say, it's like, don't, I say, I say, it's like, don't bother trying to check a box because, you know, I don't fit into any of them. Um, you know, so it's interesting that you say about like the, the programmers and that none, like, well, well, the people out of five people, they didn't have any experience. I think one of the things, uh, because I'm a telecom engineer, and so I ca I came up with like you know the PRIs like I, you know give me give me a phone circuit, and you know I like the way that you do your circuits with programming, uh, you know and transmission and backhaul and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but coding and programming was always something that felt to me as if like its own like sort of like unique beast that I had like sort of like I the GUIs the URI the UIs and like everything like that I can I can understand and do all of those things, but the actual coding. So women, I, I feel like. You know, I wonder if it's like an intimidation because women said that they want technical, they want technical training, uh, but, but there's a gap. There's a huge gap in void between like women on the technical, I shouldn't say a huge one. I'm so, I was so impressed to see how many women are actually like engineers and technicians, but how do we bridge that sort of gap? And I think maybe one thing I'd like to ask you is like, how long does it take to become a programmer? Like just real practical stuff. Like, you know, what, what is it like if a woman, if I'm a woman that wants to get into like learning how to program, you said day one is like buttons and pushing, like help, help women sort of see what they're, um, what they're getting themselves into. And like, you know, how difficult is it like sort of to actually get some hands-on experience? Well, that's, that's a fun question because there's so many different ways to do that. There's as many ways to get hands-on experiences for people out there because we've each done it some different way. There's no one way to do it. Um, before anyone gets into anything, my suggestion is to figure out what you want to do and why. Um, because if you love what you do, you'll be good at it. What's neat about programming, um, there's, there's, Boy, this is such a broad subject. It could, I could go 50 directions with this, and I don't even know which one to do. Because there's so much that needs to be covered. Um, so hardware and software, as of the 90s, a lot of devices were programmable. Back then, it was a lot of EPROMs. So things were pretty fixed in programming, but... In the 90s, I recognized that equipment was programmable. And so if I wanted to be relevant, I needed to learn to code. Today, that's more so than ever. I think the number of jobs for non-programming technical people are going to all be relegated to very low-wage jobs. I don't think there's much money in tech unless you write code. The future for tech without code skills is limited because even CAD is going to start involving more coding. I see that as the future. Code it is simple. 
if you spend time on a computer, you're configuring things already. You're setting up using software, you're configuring software. If you can't get off of the computer, programming something you might want to consider doing. There's so many different types of programming. There's EV, there's gaming, there's database, there's networking, there's cybersecurity. Everyone that programs AV is, ha, has got to at least be aware of networking and cybersecurity. You can take any path through this. Some people fall into AV from IT. Some people fall into IT from AV. I'm starting to migrate more into IT than before because of Dante. It's driving me that direction. I just certified Dante level three this year. Yeah. A couple of years ago, didn't care. It was just, Dante, it's like AVB. You know, it's easier than AVB. Been doing networking for a while with Class C networks. I'm having to start thinking beyond that because I can't have a little AV subnet anymore. Dante is on the client network. I have to start learning the client networking protocols and cybersecurity requirements. Oh, interesting. Because, you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, and I I know when you say things like AVB and Adante, like that, um, they're two different, two different of the same sort of animals. But, you know, even like for, for women, um, a majority of women, like that, that's sort of where those, those, those words don't mean anything. Um, that, you know, they don't understand that those are like, you know, like digital audio processing. They don't understand sort of, you know, like these the standards, applications that, that need, like you're saying, with the cybersecurity and, and things like that. So I'm really interested in like, you know, how we're going to do that. Because I, I, it's not a um, sort of like a, you know, AV for dummies. Like, I, I don't, because I don't like the word, like, I don't like the word dummies. Like, um, but it, but it is, you know what I'm saying? It, it's like technology sort of like, uh, I don't know, for wave. <laughs> but I, I really feel like, you know. Sometimes we sort of forget that like that stuff comes naturally because that's that's what you know we always do. But I, I really love it. Like you know, sort of like bringing it all back. Like you know, your curiosity. That's that's what women like. That's what we need to be like. How to make something cool. Like you know, have that curiosity. Were were you ever afraid to try something? Like because I think a lot of women like you know they're afraid. Like I always have my perfect example is my grandmother. You know, it's like you. Um, trying to like have, like I was, I was our technical support as I'm sure like most people are for like, you know, for their grandmother and stuff like that. She was always afraid. I was like, don't be, I'm like, don't be afraid grandma. You can't break it. I'm like, you know what I mean? I'm like, like whatever you push, you know what I mean? Whatever you do, we can fix it. Like, I'm like, don't be afraid. Um, so was there anything you were ever uh, intimidated by with the technology? And like, how was it that you sort of like got over that in a way that like helps women and, you know, understand like you're not going to break it to try it. Technology is terrifying, it, it, and it's technology isn't even the scariest thing out there. Um, if you look at what has transpired in AV, when I started in AV, most of the things were composite video, baseband, that little F connector that you may have seen if you're old enough to remember what an F coaxial is. It provided audio and video on one coaxial cable. After a while, we had S video. YC, two cables. Wow, that was scary until we learned it. And then there was three wires, component RGB. Woo, that was scary. And then 
five wires and VGA with HD15. Wow, that was scary. But you get over it. And then digital video interface, DVI, and then HDMI. And HDMI has evolved. And then uh, DisplayPort and USB-C. AV is changing and evolving fast. Technology is changing and evolving fast. I remember DOS computers. I grew up in a family where Fortran and COBOL were the, the early things that we played with. DOS was the first semi-user-friendly PC that there really was. And then after that, Windows 3.1. Wow, we could do clip art. That was so cool. Windows 95, clip art, and eventually photos. Whoa, that was scary, you know? I don't know what's gonna happen. We can do pictures, <laughs> you know? And it evolved. Pretty soon we're able to do video. I remember HTML1, I used to make websites in HTML1, now it's HTML5, you know, it's constantly evolving. Um, phones, I remember when phones first started going mobile. We used to have to lug around a suitcase size yeah. processor for a phone. Now, this has more processing power than a Windows 98 computer, you know, and this is a phone. So yes, it's scary, it's terrifying at first, but it becomes second nature. I remember my first DSP, PB Media Matrix. Holy crap, that thing was terrifying. My first AMX, my first Crestron, my first Xtron. It was all voodoo, but it becomes second nature, you know? So whatever we're afraid of, just do it, just do it. One thing that we all have to do that's scary is work with power. I've been shocked, I've been electrocuted, I've blown amplifiers. You gotta go out and blow an amplifier to learn how to hook up speakers. You just gotta do it. So what you do, get a cheap amplifier. Experiment with that one. Don't go experiment on a $2,000, $4,000 amplifier. Go get a cheap amp, learn how to hook up speakers. Once you learn how to, Properly load an amplifier, paying attention to both the impedance and the load, and run it, drive it, work it correctly, then start playing with the expensive amps. One of the things that I do when I'm training a new person, I hand them a cheap amplifier and some speakers. I walk away and I'll come back to a smoking ruin. Now follow the damn drawing like I showed you. <laughs> you know, they've been successful if they tried. So interesting. I really love that you said that. Yeah, because my wheels are turning and we, we've got to do something because you said something the other day when, um, when we were in our um, webinar for, for the, the survey that I really, really love. And it was, I was asking about like, why won't employers actually um, invest in training women? Uh, you know, why why won't they do that? And you mentioned about the CFO and, and the CTO. So um, if you can, if you can <clears throat> re-explain sort of what that is. So my question was, why won't, you know, why won't uh, employers train women? And not only just like what, what it is that you said, which I think is really fascinating, but what's your message to employers that may be watching this or, man, you know, manufacturers or somebody that's actually watching this that is in a position to hire a woman and give her a chance? You know, what, what's your message? But yeah, tell us, tell us about what you said. 
well, the story is an old story, and I'm sure most people listening that are old will know the story already. But and it's not just women. Companies have to decide if they want to invest in their employees all the time. So the story is a chief operating officer or some chief tech officer needs their people to be trained. And they say, I want to send all the technical people off to training. And the financial officer, the CFO, says, what if we train them and they leave? And the chief technical officer, information officer, would respond with, what if we don't train them and they stay? <laughs> so it's a dilemma for all companies. It's a scary thing. When a company invests in their employees, they're betting on their employees being there a long time. Not all companies think long-term with their employees. In fact, in AV, there are two very common practices in the AV industry. Practice one, and it's not just AV. A lot of companies, AV is cyclical though. AV is cyclical because we're subject to construction. We're busier in the summer, we're slower in the winter. So we tend to have a busy season and a slow season. Two methods that companies will operate. They will burst higher for the busy season and then lay people off during the slow season. The other philosophy is to hire core groups of people and use subs during the busier season. Either approach leaves a lot of AV people out of work during slow seasons. Companies that invest in their people during the slow seasons will retain them and pay them and spend money to send them to training. So it is on multiple levels an expense for those companies to keep and commit to those people. But the companies that do build a strong core of people, hopefully they stay. So those are two schools of thought and ways to do business. Um, the companies that retain people and commit to them, the team has faith and confidence that their jobs will be secure and safe. They tend to be more collaborative and share information with newbies that are hired. Companies that hire for peak and lay off during slow seasons tend to form cliques. The employees circle the wagons and form cliques. And when new people come in, they isolate the new people, don't share information or knowledge. I find that the percentage of jobs that go south is much higher in those companies. Those are companies that we want to avoid working for. Half the industry falls under that, at least. So it's not just a problem for women, but it's a bean counter method methodology. Bean counters run a lot of corporations. Look at the trends in the industry of private equity firms owning some of the biggest companies in our industry. Many of the biggest companies in our industry are owned by Wall Street bank firms. I saw that recently. Yeah. Somebody on the consumer somebody on the consumer electronics side. That's interesting. I don't think a lot of people know that. Right. Not just manufacturers really? either. It's manufacturers yeah. and integrators. And distributors. Yes. Yeah, I didn't even think about that because I didn't really, I haven't worked in distribution so much, but yeah, I agree. 
makes sense. <laughs> so a lot of bean counter man mentality. Um, what's my advice to these companies? People are everything. We need diversity. Men, women, ethnic diversities, gender diversities, age diversities. Old people know what has worked in the past and they know how to navigate the rapid changes of tech. New people are more, younger people are more tech savvy with the latest trends, but they don't always know all of the history and, and where all the bodies are buried. As a lot of government agencies found out, legacy skills like, oh, I don't know, COBOL are still important. Even today, legacy skills pay dividends in new future tech because new future tech without the archaic antiquated experience will blunder into the same mistakes that we learned from decades ago in analog. Now granted, digital may be different, but the fundamentals and the principles aren't. What makes best code practices in the 90s is still best code practices today as they were in the 60s, 50s, knowing the foundation. Today's languages are nothing but the original languages with massive libraries of code built up accessible via keywords. If you look at C Sharp, the latest, coolest language, it's decades of C+. And it's made smarter and better in a new format. It manages memory for you, so you no longer have to go in and clear uh, memory allocations at the end of a function. It's doing it automatically, unless you make it a public, static uh, function. So C++ was built on decades of Objective-C. Well, Objective-C was the foundation of iOS and Microsoft. So what you have today is built on the past. And those of us that have been around since the beginning have watched the evolution. And we've seen the transition. It applies to circuits. Yes, you things used to be through hole, and now they're surface mount. But we haven't lost our minds. We still need legacy knowledge and experience to guide the future. So we need diversity at all levels. We want some senior people and some new people. We don't want an all senior group either because I've been training new interns and rookies and I've shown them this is what we do, this is how we do it. And I've had these uppity newbie rookies fresh out of college say, well, why do you do it like that? Why don't you do it like this? And I would stop and go, because we've always done it that way until now, because that rookie had a better idea. Fresh out of college. And they thought of something I've been blind to for decades. We need fresh blood, but we need seniors to guide the fresh blood. There needs to be mentors. That's the problem with women not having mentors. It's not just women not having mentors. Yes. We need mentors for LGBT people. We need mentors for all ethnic diversities, for young people 
everybody, even old people. I need a mentor to teach me how to navigate the new technology. Social media? Yeah, how many times I've had people say. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. What's adulting in 2020? I don't know. I wasn't good at adulting in the 90s, so I'm surely (laughs) not good at it today. I'm a late bloomer, so (laughs) I haven't quite gotten there yet. Oh, I love that. Thank you. I mean, Ronnie, like, been so fascinating and you know i mean we could talk about these things i could talk about these things with you all day um because it's just it really is it's it, it brings such a, a context to our industry that you people you have such a, a knowledge of you know an experience that so few people have and um i really hope that like in the future that you know people do embrace you know diversity like you said of all of everybody it it you know Whether we, I think one of the hot things probably that I find is that the word diversity somehow sort of means, uh, you know, other than you, Uh, you know what I mean? And it's like whether whether it's a gender, whether it's a race, you know, whether it's age, it's somebody that's other than you, and that that sometimes can feel a little bit like sort of like defensive. But I love the way that you like sort of that you say no, it's all of us, like all like all of us really just we're in it together. You know, we, we, we really need it. And, you know, you really bring that like home for, for everybody. Um, you know, and I, so I, I genuinely like truly appreciate, and we're going to do something about this technology training. Like I, I really, like, I really want to do it for, for women, especially because, you know, I think, like you said, they need mentors like you um, to, to know like that they can try and fail, you know what I mean? And, and it's not going to, it's not going to like destroy like the, you know, the job or, or anything like that. So one last question that I had uh, before we go, I had asked you about this. And uh, um, what is, uh, if you had one woman that you could have dinner with or that you could meet um, here or in heaven, uh, you know, who would it be? And so, you know, who is, who is that for you? Well, there's, there's two, uh, Lynn Conway, who is an early IBM computer programmer uh, and pioneer. Um, but probably most of all, Hypatia. Um, who lived in the third century, was a Grecian philosopher, mathematician, astronomer, uh, professor, at a time when women had no rights, were considered inferior, was one of the greatest minds of her time, and actually was an advisor to the Roman prefect of Alexandria. So, just somebody who had no right to be successful and by every measure was. Um, That's incredible, the adversity that she had to overcome. And the adversity eventually ended her life. But, you know, I'm still talking about her thousands of years later. So, you know, that's, to me, that's impressive. Yeah, that would be somebody, yeah. I love that. I love that, you know, throughout history, you know, women haven't, we haven't let anything, we haven't let anything define us. We've always pushed back against all of these chains that want to hold us down and broken them. So there's something in our spirit, you know what I mean? There's something, there's something in us that, you know, um, we won't be satisfied until we are allowed to be who we are. And, And that's one of the things like I told totally respect and I love and admire about you so much. You know what I mean? Like you don't let anybody define who you are. Um, you define who you are and you know you've always like everything that you face you you just you push through until until you get what you want I think you know more women you know more um, LGBT like like um, young folks and things like that I, I really 
look to you as somebody that's a mentor and you know your own um, Hypatia in in your own way. Well, I, that's amazing to even be compared to her, but I don't know about being a mentor because I, I mean maybe there's some things I could do that would help some people, but I think it's important to realize that I'm as screwed up as everybody else is. You know, I'm not. <laughs> And Hypatia was screwed up in her own way too. We all are. I don't know anyone who doesn't have some areas of being dysfunctional. Um, the hardships that I faced and the violent abuse of childhood, I have PTSD, anxiety disorder, bipolar disorder, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety disorder. These are serious mental and emotional issues. And it's, you know, I, I in my early teens, I was homeless ended up doing stupid things as a homeless teen and end up a convicted felon. So at the same time, although I've had some notable success, I've also had some massive failures and struggle and fight with anxiety, depression, PTSD. And so I don't want to come across like some perfected person. I feel like one of those pieces of broken china that you find in Japan where they've glued it together and repurposed it. That's sort of how we all are. Nobody's had a perfect upbringing. You look at somebody who's had success from day one, who was wealthy, beautiful, popular, attractive, cheerleader. What did they deal with? Peer pressure, expectations, Nobody has it easy. The other person, wrong side of the track, abusive family, hateful family, whatever. Look, my childhood is rough, but it wasn't worst. I can see, I can hear. I have both my hands, both my feet. I grew up in the US. There's people that grew up in third world countries. We can't take for granted that anybody is well adjusted. All we can do is the best we can with what we have. And so, no matter who we are, where we are, how much we've screwed up, it's never too late to decide what you want to do, focus on it, and go get it. Just do it. I was in prison. You know, I could have given up and made that my life. But at some point, I, you know, when you lose your freedom, you look around and go, wow, this sucks. I don't want to do this again. And if you're lucky enough to get your freedom again, you do everything you can to never do that again. Never do anything that's going to end up back there. You don't want that. It, it's horrible. It's a nightmare. Wouldn't wish it on anybody. So best thing to do is to figure out what you want early. Focus on that. What you focus on is what you'll attain. It's like driving a car. When you drive a car, where do you look? You look where you want to go. You have to note obstacles. If you don't note obstacles, you'll hit them. You don't see the other cars, you'll hit them. You have to note, but you glance. You glance in your mirrors. You check them. You look in the rear view, too. See what's coming up behind. You see the ditch. So you don't focus on it. What if you focus on the ditch? Do you not end up in it? It's not any different with life. If you want something, I don't care what it is, to be smart, rich, famous, AV, IT, HR, artist, whatever. Just do it. Focus on it every day and believe that you can do it. And if you doubt, 
Napoleon Hill wrote a book called Think and Grow Rich, and Scott Adams wrote a book in Dilbert, a chapter at the end of one of his Dilbert books. They both teach the same thing, how to focus and believe. If you have trouble with faith, the problem you have is you know what you want, but you need to believe that you can do it. That belief comes incrementally. Step one, brainwash yourself. Write down on a piece of paper if you have to, or on a computer, a commitment. I, Ronnie, will have my own farm and I will grow organic food. And you see behind me, I'm making that dream come true. But you write it down and focus on it until it becomes reality. It will. My goal used to just be to be a woman and have a home and a job. And I did that. And now I've had to make my dreams bigger. You will too. Don't give up. Whatever you want, you can do it. Focus on it. Never lose sight of it. Note the obstacles. But don't let them distract you. Stay the course and you'll get it. You made me. You should sign up next to be a Zen teacher. You got it all down. Watched a lot of Tony Robbins videos. Okay, so small print credits: Tony Robbins, uh, Napoleon Hill, Zig Ziglar. You know. Yeah, that's great. Love that, Ryan. Thank you. I like it. Really, uh, thank you. Uh, you know, as I've, I've said, and I will continue to say, I mean, you're an inspiration to me and to so many just simply by being yourself. Uh, you know, it, I think maybe. Well, I don't. I know that it wasn't Einstein, but um, it's somebody that said, you know, the hardest thing to do is to be yourself in a world that wants you to be somebody else. Um, and so, you know, I feel like, you know, you probably don't even understand or realize just how much, how inspiring, and how much you're you're trailblazing for for all of us. You know, in in so many ways that will leave such a such a um, a heartfelt you know, impression on our industry for, for the better. So I just, you know, thank you so much. And thank you so much for like being here and, and taking the time away from your farm, the farmers that we are. It's fun stuff. All right, so thanks. So Yeah. So tell us, like, how can people that want to get in touch with you and want to follow up with you, um, how can they reach you? Well, the easiest place is LinkedIn, obviously, because that's designed for meeting and staying in touch with people. So they can look at, they look up Ronnie and Spang? Yes. Um, my profile is LinkedIn forward slash N. Actually, let me look because I can't remember it. I actually don't have it that memorized. Let me see. It's LinkedIn forward slash Ang, LinkedIn.com forward slash N forward slash Ronnie Spang CTS forward slash. So at the time I put that in there, CTS was. A certification I had, and it still persists on my LinkedIn profile. <laughs> That's awesome. What you don't resist persists. Yeah. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you so much. And you know, I really appreciate it. And uh, for all of those that are listening, thank you so much for tuning in. And you can expect to hear more from from Ronnie and I because we definitely want to, um, you know, get these women out there like to feel like to feel the passion and you know the inspiration that you do about tackling some of these technical things and not being afraid. So thank you to everybody for tuning in and you can check out this podcast and all of AV Nation's other podcasts by going to www.avnation.tv forward slash podcast. Really appreciate you tuning in today to uh, the AV Nation Wavecast and uh, we'll see you next time. So stay safe, be well, and um, you know, rock on with AV. Thank you.